How did you survive? But you didn't I don't have know, a- man. I, I prayed every night that I would die in my sleep because it's hell. And this music is also family friendly. It's my uh, son-in-law, Jackie's husband, did this. Yes. It's good. Is it? Yeah. Yes, I think it is. He makes a living as a, as a producer. So uh, th- this is Howie Mandel Does Stuff. I'm Howie Mandel. Jacqueline Schultz, my co-host, and my daughter is home with her hamster one more time. And we have the <laughs> lovely Nikki Glazer, the funny, um, talented uh, comedian, podcaster, host, actress, singer, Um, why are you laughing well singer i really appreciate that i'm trying so isn't that but yeah yeah add it on you and i did the same show you did it too i did mass singer when did you do it um this season you did it this season did you have a good time oh yeah you were revealed this season i was revealed yeah i was revealed Uh, here's the thing did i have a good time um Uh, you the difference between you and me is I like, like you, I like to try things. I I always want to be challenged. I have no aspiration to sing because I really believe as somebody who judges singing from time to time that I have absolutely no talent and no, I don't have an instrument that works. Right. It's broken. (laughs) Like I can't carry a tune. Right. And I have no sense of rhythm. That's what they say. They say that, you know, you can... You can become a good singer if you, the thing you need is to not be tone deaf, but the, you need that and, and you find you're tone deaf. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, beyond tone. I'm rhythm deaf. And deaf. no, me too, dancing. I can't so even hard. clap my hands to Ooh, when, Yeah, when I go to a concert and Wait, they start clapping, I go. But I've heard you sing. You can actually I, sing. I can, I can, you know, with enough training, you can kind of do anything, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I have to believe that because hard work is the thing that I can do. And so I like when that's the one thing that I need to do to make it. I I don't like this. You're either got it or you don't. I think anyone with enough work should be able to, you know, you can't be Adele or something, but you can find your I was Mandel. (laughs) But, 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 but I, um, but did you, did you have a dream of dressing like a salamander or a taco? What were, what were you? I was a lobster, which is uh, for a Jew is not kosher. Why is that? Well, first of all, it's a fun costume. You got the claws. You enjoyed it. I well, I don't remember seeing you exactly. As no, not a not. Did you enjoy me? You enjoyed the process of being in a costume. I liked it because because you're saying thing. I actually want to be a singer, and so I felt like it was the one true way to be judged and not have someone kind of go, "Ew, she's a comedian. Like, what is she doing?" And have that change their perception of my voice. I got to start with no one knowing who I was because I think a lot of times when someone tries a new talent. And it's just like Michael Jordan playing baseball. You're just like, don't do this other thing. Just stick to what you're, we like you as. And it changed, it, it, it Could you breathe in your costume? But no, I mean, it was hard. Right, I was so, wearing like a, a snowflake on my back. It was like a backpack snowflake. It was like 60 pounds. It was insane. Oh, okay. And then 60, my when you say I have so, a snowflake on my back, it doesn't, you're not. It doesn't mean I have a liberal Oh my, my God. I, no, I didn't even mean that. I just oh. meant like you were saying, oh, I had to carry around a fucking snowflake. Like that's a heavy thing. Oh, right. Yo, it was. Cause it had, it was LED lights and everything. So it was pretty, yeah. So I couldn't breathe. Yeah. I couldn't fucking oh, breathe yeah. and you I couldn't it's see. Hot. No, you can't see at all. So this is what I you know, I said to the producers, I didn't really understand. So here's the thing. So I said I would do it because it seemed like it would be a lot of fun. A fun challenge, yes. And then I tried on the suit and uh-huh. I went, Well, you know, this is kinda like 
it's inhibiting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, claustrophobic. Yes. It's uh, I can't breathe. And you can't go anywhere. On t- the only people that know that you're Howie Mandel on that set are is your singing coach and maybe one or two producers. And everywhere you walk on that set, you have to wear a hoodie that says, don't talk to me, right? Right. A face shield, like you're Kanye on a podcast, like, <laughs> you know, and, and gloves so they can't see your skin. You have to like dress... Uh, You're constantly claustrophobic the whole show. That was not the problem. So the problem for me was, you just said, your singing coach. So I didn't, you know, I'm Howie Mandel. I'm not known as a singer. Unlike you who wants to pursue it, I don't give a a shit if- If it sounds good. Well, I thought, you know, it'd be fun for people to guess and whatever. And I'm just going to sing. I'm just going to do, I'll sing. I have no aspirations to ever be a recording artist. I don't want to sing. I don't have an album coming out. I'm not dropping anything. (laughs) I have no breakup songs. I have nothing. (laughs) You're not dropping anything. No, isn't that what you (laughs) kids do now? change. Yes. Yeah. It's dropping at midnight. (laughs) Yes. So, but I don't have anything to do. And then they, I ended up going in. I thought I'd go in, you know, and just put on this fucking head. Yeah. And sing, you know, and I was Easy there for peasy. ABBA week. You didn't know that there was going to be training involved. But they take it really seriously. Oh, yes. So I was in the, in the, in the coaches going, no, you're not hitting the note. I go, I don't give a fuck. No, try again. Yes. It was like going back to school. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. Was and Amy Chapman your coach? I think it was. Yeah, the very nice girl. I loved her. Like, she's amazing, but red hair, long, really yes. passionate. Let's try it again. Yes. And I go, no, no. And I couldn't remember the lyrics. And mm-hmm. I, and I, let's try it again. And no. And then when they, when they finally got me to like at least remember the words, and then they put that hand head on me i said well is there a teleprompter and then i couldn't find the fucking teleprompter oh, there's a teleprompter but i go what is the point of this i can't see I anything I it's memorized see it. you have to memorize it but i said to the producers i go why don't you if if you want the singing to be so good and you want the singing why don't you go into that where you went in with amy and why can't you just record it why can't right. why can't you just pre-record it so you can at least breathe or if you want well, to dance around and have you know fun they do that. not not to me they they do they well you probably didn't know it was happening but during one of your rehearsals they get a track just in case you really mess it up that they that for safety they were recording I probably I shouldn't reveal that but they I do didn't do that. Know that but they but they don't rely on it I was like please put those in instead of the live performance I did because you're out there and you tense up so much when you're out there because nerves right and. That constricts, if you're trying to be a good singer, that's the last thing you want is like your muscles tightening and you just want to be really loose. And, um, and so it's, it's really, it's hard to sing. And it, it's hard to sing, but I would imagine even if that is what you do, and even if you are yeah. Adele, I would imagine in with that mask and all that weight and a fucking snowflake, yes. a 60 pound snowflake yes. on your back, the, the, you, you are not you are not projecting your best work. No, no, you're not. And, but you know, that's kind of uh, live TV, you know, like they, and they want, they don't want you to sound bad on that either. Like they're kind well, then of they should. I you. think they should pre-record. I think they do, Howie. No. Well, well maybe listen they changed to mine, it. It's bad. <laughs> Is your, are you happy with the way you're singing? I didn't listen to it. I don't listen to it. We were even can out I, there Can I play it right things. now? No, I mean, you can put it in later. You don't want to hear yourself sing? No, I've never, I don't listen to, I don't listen to my stand-up. I don't listen to anything I do. 
I can't stand now it. Now I want to hear you sing. N- well, I, can, I would be better off singing to you right now. Go ahead. I- <laughs> and then don't listen to this podcast. No, what did I, you sing? I sang Ariana Grande, Thank You, Next. I Ariana sang, Grande you I took know. on? Well, you know what? Why not? Because you're never going to be as good as her. So even if you... So I don't even compare myself to her because she's the best. So it's kind of fun. Give me like a note. I won't judge. I, that's another show. Thought I'd end up with Sean, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky. Now I listen and laugh. Can I say something? Even you're good. almost got married. I mean, I'm a little nervous right now. And like, no, but you're not good. In the right key. I, I, am, I train like twice a week. I'm like in intense training because that's what I want to do with my life. You wanted more than comedy? <laughs> well, comedy, I've like, I've done it. I'm going to keep doing it. It's not going away. It's a part of who I am. It will always be there. It's how I interpret uh, my feelings in the world. But I just want to go deeper. I feel like writing songs and singing songs, there's just a way to communicate feelings more than comedy, which is so literal and always has, you know, you can get into your feelings, but there will always be a... Uh, a string you can pull to be like, just get in. <laughs> just, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to make you too uncomfortable. And it just, I yearn to give the things that I get from music. When I want to feel something, I listen to music. I don't listen to a comedy album. But if you want to say something. Oh, well, there's nothing better. Than comedy. Yeah. So that's why I'll keep doing it forever. But I'm just, there's something more I want to do. You want to write music? I would someday, but that is just so... Have you ever tried to write like a poem or a song? It's so embarrassing. You have to it's be embarrassing. like... embarrassing? Yes, because you have to... You Don't to you like think comedy can be embarrassing? Me- metaphor. No, yes to a degree. You know, when you, when you share something that you think is like, this is a weird thing I do and people are going to relate to it. And then they don't relate and they go, no, that's just you. That's when it's embarrassing. And then you change that joke to kind of maybe make it more like, because sometimes I'll say, doesn't this happen to you guys? And everyone's just like, uh-uh. And then I'll change it to be like, look at this weird thing that happened to me. And then it's, I'm giving some, you know, I'm teaching people to be vulnerable in their own way. But that's when it can be embarrassing is when I'm working on a new joke and I think it's a universal thing. See, and my, uh, that moment that you just described happens to me more than, yes. the, the, than the fact that everybody relates. Yes. I can't tell yes. you in the course, but I kind of, um, uh, kind of, in, in enjoy wading in that discomfort you know yeah. it's like to me that's what makes me feel alive when, adrenaline yes from that. I've, I, I was talking to we were just talking I was, I was on uh, Rogan the other day and I said in the podcast that for me I still like thrill rides mm. even at my age and and you know it really if you think about it a thrill ride is a simulation of you're in a lot of danger and you might die right it yes. takes you up really high and drops you and the closer to death you think you've come, the more you want to go on again. If you go on a roller coaster and it's just a breeze through your hair on a nice spring day, you're not going to go, oh, I got to get on again. It'll bore you. Yeah. So comedy for me is that moment where, you know, I kind of bear my soul and my sensibility and my humor and what is making me laugh because, you know, laughter for me is my panacea of life. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I'm getting through whatever mental health issues I have, which are abundant. Um, it, yeah, I know. You've talked about that. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. You're incredibly uh, open and bold and vulnerable and uh, you're... you're uh, Thanks. With, no, thank you. Thank, thank you. Because I just think that, that your comedy is so bold. I think it's... I think that what you do is harder than what I do. I think, and maybe this is going to be bashed, but I think being a woman 
just by being a woman is harder. Mm. And I think life is is tough. Yes. And I think life for females is even tougher. Yeah, I have nothing to compare it to, but I don't I don't hate being told that what I'm doing is hard. It makes me feel really good. <laughs> you know? Right. I always want I really get off on people going, I could never do that. And I'm like, well, it's not too it it's not hard for me. When people project that and they go, How do you get up there? And you just have a microphone, how could you do that? It's, it does, it, of course it scared me in the beginning, but I really love that it's something that most people fear doing and that I can do. And of course I get a little scared from it. And that's why I have to, like you're saying, present new, when I have just a bunch of jokes at work, there's nothing in it for me anymore. It feels good to get those laughs, but there's nothing like, you're talking about a roller coaster, when you say a joke that you're like, I'm not sure if this is gonna work, this is very vulnerable, I've never admitted this to anyone, not even myself in my diaries, but I'm gonna say it to this crowd, and then you're free falling and you're like saying it, and then they laugh and it's like, woof, you get out, you don't die, you don't crash, and then they don't laugh, you just are splattered on the floor. But right. I think the thrill of roller coasters is that nearly avoiding it, and then you get the rush of like, oh, I lived, and that's that good feeling that you're looking for. I think this fright is the is also good, but avoiding it. And I think that laughter makes us feel like, okay, my flaws and the person I, uh, the thing I'm most scared of being rejected for is being accepted. What a great feeling. But, but what I'm saying is as somebody who has two daughters and that's where I, you know, I, oh, I, yeah. I've said this many times, you know, I, I thought I'd grow up and have children and teach them about the world, but I grew up and had children and I'm learning every day. Mm. And I watch, you know, between, you just met my son, my son yeah. produces this, you know, they come from the same house, the same basic upbringing. And when you watch the life of a female versus the life of a male, it is, it's not even comparable. And I don't think people, unless you're a parent and unless you said you have nothing to yeah, compare you have it to, to. You have an ex experiment you're running where you have a two. A That's what I'm doing. I just didn't, I didn't want to be a parent. <laughs> I wanted to be a science. So what is the difference do you see? Everything. So socially, you know, uh, it, it, it starts with, uh, I noticed girls just being a they were, kids were meaner. Women mm. are meaner. They're meaner, and maybe it's because they're more emotional and outspoken, or you know, you know what we I mean. Like feel things different. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I have grandchildren now. My eight-year-old granddaughter uh, will get made fun of for what she wore. I don't yeah. think a little boy. I don't think anybody ever noticed what he wore. Right. You know. I don't think. If, uh, listen, everybody's mean. I, I think if you, you're out there uh, publicly um, on social media and on stage, I think uh, it's more hurtful and wrong when people are pointing fingers at physical attributes yes. where, where it doesn't hurt a man as much. Yeah. I think men are, uh, I'm, I'm starting to change the tone in which I speak of this because I'm always like, it's much harder to be a woman because we're so, people are so focused on our looks and us aging um, we become invisible faster than I would say men do. We lose our vir virility. I mean, I don't know if women have virility, but we lose our ability to procreate, which is the reason why anyone is attracted to anyone is like, I could make a baby with this person. And so we lose that earlier and then we feel kind of invisible and it's just, it's harder, but men are also so susceptible that, to eating disorders and all that shit now. So it's, I kind know. Of, it's sinking into all, it's everyone. But even the but, pressure of a woman to have a baby, and I know you talk oh about God, this and this is part of it, which I believe, you know, as somebody who's at this stage in my life, mm -hmm. I, I believe there is some responsibility and, and beauty in somebody who makes a decision, man or woman, who makes a decision not to be a parent. 
I think being a parent was uh, considered a cultural norm. And a you know, if you're at this age, when somebody says, how old are you? Whether you're a man or a woman, what, have you been married? Are you married? Do no. you have kids? Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm oh, saying- sorry, yes. When you get, yeah. I, 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 look, I'm so used to getting those questions. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I'm ready to answer. Right, but you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this ironically yes. and satirically, you're supposed to, yes. but you're not, you're not. And I think more people are fucked up because people who shouldn't be having kids or raising kids or don't have an environment to have a, a healthy human being blossom in shouldn't have kids. But it is our, it's not even culturally the pressure. I mean, that's immense, but it's also, we are put on this planet to procreate. I mean, it is our purpose as a species to make more of us. So to shirk that and say- You think that's everybody's? I think it's in our DNA to make more of us, to let's keep, get my DNA going. Like, let's make, like, let's procreate. I mean, it's it's biological, this this urge. So you're fighting against that. And Do you have an urge to have a child? No. And I've so. can, been waiting for it. And um, I feel a little, uh, I, I'm a little, I just want more time and I don't get to have that. I mean, if you look at the chart for fertility, which I just recently, I, I think I'm, I'm about to be 39. So um, I'm supposed to freeze my eggs like a year ago, I think mm -hmm. was when I was supposed to do it or otherwise it's like pointless. Right. But I went to go look to get it done and they show you the chart and no one even tells you until you start looking into fertility it's like a, you're looking at this chart, this line versus your age and then your fertility. And it's just like a bunny slope, like, ooh. And then it's just double black diamond in one year of your, and it's shocking. And then that makes me go, well, now I want to, because you're telling me I can't and I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose the chance to do it. It is a, and what? But what do you want? Like you're saying we're supposed to make, we're supposed to procreate. Yeah. Like I believe that all that is real in life is now. That's all that's real. You know, your perception of what happened is your reality, but nobody else shares that. Your thought of what may happen in the future may not ever happen, you know? You it never go, does. You can't predict the way anything You could end up go. under a bus in an hour. Yeah. So the point that I'm making is that you don't know. So if you don't want to have a child, the fact that you don't actually birth the child, maybe your purpose is 20 years from now to adopt somebody who yeah. needs a home to give somebody an opportunity. Maybe that is it. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's right. to just. Maybe it's a, to regret in 20 years that I did it and to tell other women they should do it earlier and then make more babies that way. Like, who knows? I just know I don't want one now. And the only reason I would do it when I was freezing my eggs, I was thinking- Oh, you did freeze your no, eggs? No, when I was about, I went in and I was about to pick up the $7,500 uh, of medication at Walgreens. And See, that would scare me, just taking that it, medication. Uh, that Spending that much money at Walgreens scared me. I was like- $7,500 at, at Walgreens? Yeah, for this for this stuff that you have to inject in yourself. And you know, you gain a bunch of weight and you you're just, your hormones go into- um, fight or flight. Like it's not a good thing for your system. So Can't you just be... go to Canada and take your underpants off? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> to freeze your eggs. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I get it now. That's great. Is it great? <laughs> I liked it. Thank yeah, you. I'm thinking of burning my eggs, but um, no, they're already doing that for me. It's, um, I was about to do it and it was the day that we were gonna, they were gonna teach me about the medicine and I go, I can't, I can't do this. I went and I cried to the woman that was um, helping me through this process and I was like, the only reason I am doing this is because 
I feel like I'm gonna meet, I, I have a boyfriend now and I was like, I don't want kids with him. I just feel like someday I'm gonna meet a man who is gonna want his own kids and I won't be able to give him that. And then I was like, wait a second. If a guy I'm with, cause men want their own kids. They don't want to adopt. I'm sorry. When a man wants a baby. Bullshit. They, they don't want to, they- How do you know? Mo most. I've talked to a lot of men and they're like- Then you, you've gotten the, you've gotten the consummate answer of all well, mankind. Well, no, I, listen, I, I just can see myself with a man someday who's like, I kind of want my own, you well, know? This and is a, you're talking to men who want to do you. No. They don't want to adopt with you. Right. <laughs> right. Well, okay, so, but let's just say that a lot of men would like to have their own kid and not adopt. I was thinking- even I, if that's the case, I'll just be like, okay, well then I'll pick out an egg for you to put your, some sperm in. You can have your own kid with some model we pick out of a book. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about having my own kid if I have it. I don't care if they look like me. I don't care if they have some trick where I can see. I'm not narcissistic about it in that way that I think some, a lot of people are. I mean- But I think equally male and female are. Right? Oh, I agree. Feeling about- Oh, I, I agree. You know, yes. I don't think more men want no. to have their own baby than women. No, yeah, I, I probably uh, shouldn't have said just it's a man thing. But yeah, I think most people, I'm just, I think it's a most people thing. So I'm just scared that someday this person I'm with- my, are you with somebody right I'm now? I'm with someone right now, but we don't want kids. And I'm just worried, like, what if we break up and then I meet? Like, it's just, I'm thinking about this future that is not even And how close. does he feel about the fact that you are very upset about the next, <laughs> the he guy with the know. next number? He, he doesn't, doesn't know. He doesn't listen to me on any podcast. He doesn't. No, I mean, he, we both are kind of, we acknowledge, like, we've been off and on for 10 years. and we, Off and on? Yeah. Is he a comic? Uh, no, he's a TV producer. And he's on a uh, radio show. Yeah. But he's in show business. He's in showbiz, yeah. And um, yeah, we've been just, you know, off and on for 10 years. And you're on right now. Yeah, we're on. So we'll be off soon. But What gets um, you off? What gets me off? Like, what turns me on? Are you rolling? You go I'm stuck. Stuck you at what? Howard. I'm stuck. Well, Kenny, you Kenny, this is the commercial. Kenny, Howard. I know you're into the AI you and the technology, Howard. but it's, it's stuck. You go Howard. Kenny. You go Howard. It's stuck. You go Howie. Oh, Jesus, you go Howie? You go Howie. That's me yelling at me. You go Howie. Kenny. You go Howie. <laughs> oh Just read you the ads, Howie. read the ads. This is for rocket you money. Go oh, I love, ro how can I read the you ads with this going on? Go ahead. Okay, you well anyways, Howie. it's rocket money, which I absolutely Howie. love rocket money. I use it on the daily rocket Howie. money. Um, makes you it. It makes it easier. It cancels you your subscriptions Howard. that you're not using. If you're paying for something you online Howard. and you're not, you, you know, Howard. and you haven't used it in a while, you what's ringing now, Kenny? Anyways, I do you use Rocket Howard. Money every single day. It's you been a game changer because I'm able to see you what prescriptions, Hello? <laughs> subscriptions that I have and Hello? I'm able to cancel them Howard. at any time. So once I, what? the ones that I don't use, you go Howard. Yeah, I'm busy. Kenny's is producing Howard. a commercial for Rocket Money with us now. You go Howard. Oh, okay, wow. You go Howard. I'm also able Howard. to see the spending from month to you month to Howard. see if it's changed or gone up you and go monitor Howard. my spending and to see how much you income I have versus how much spending you I've done. Howard. So it's been an absolute game changer for me. Yeah. How yeah. can we cancel our AI? You Rocket Howard. money. Cancel whatever you we're paying Howard. for my AI. You go Howard. Okay, well, anyway. Kenny! You go Howard. Rocket Money is a personal finance Howard. app that finds and cancels you your Howard. unwanted subscriptions for you, you monitors your spending, and helps you lower your you bills all Howard. in one place, like 
I just told you. So you stop throwing away your money, cancel you unwanted subscriptions, and manage your you expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Howie. That's rocketmoney.com slash Howie. Rocketmoney.com slash Howie. You go Howie away. You go Howie away. Go Can I cancel a subscription? Back to the podcast. You go Howie. You go Howie. Oh, oh, you were just making a joke. I'm like, well, no, we'll go there. No, it's okay. Well, you, can, you can answer whatever you think okay, the question is. We go is. off because we, my schedule, his schedule do not line up and we spend too much time apart. We pull a little Sandoval and we, feel, <sighs> we, we keep going in different directions. And then, you know, if you don't spend enough time together and your worlds are... You know, one's having an Ariana thing, one's having going out every night, one's staying in bed a lot, suffering with different kinds of depression. You start to kind of visualize different lives for yourselves, and you it happens all the time. And then we go. See, that's off. what makes my marriage work. I've been married for forty three years. What, what is it? I'm not there. Oh yeah, see that. But but do you have consistent times where, like, if it's you don't not see each other for too long of a time, like? Uh, we used to like COVID obviously, but I would be, be away for like three weeks at a time or mm -hmm. two weeks at a time to be Do on you, the road. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my third child just found out I'm her dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't spend a lot of time at home, but I'm that's what, you know, way. distance makes the heart grow fonder. It does. Is that a saying? Well, I, I, I don't know. I think it's good. If it isn't, you should, um, you know, slap you can answer the other one. question if you want. But I feel like the audience gets listening. Me off, yes. Um, <laughs> is being uh, uh what gets me off is being admired being like someone being really impressed by me and almost turned on by how talented i am <laughs> so you make him there's a reason that i fell for a producer who was working on my show oh, who so i would good. just when i would there was something if i'm so like during a, sex he screams things like you're so talented <laughs> you are so witty no oh tell me how witty he's, i am he's, yeah he's um no, I think in, in bed particularly, I think I've been doing this a lot in my act talking about this because I found that women want to be a little bit degraded in bed. I'm not saying all of us, but not to the degree that we're seeing in pornography that I think a lot of men will go to because it's just such an extreme of just being choked and called a dumb whore or whatever. We want to be, we want you to be a little bit like mad at us for being sluts. Cause the thing is we all want to be slutty and we all have it in us to be kind of a whore and, and just be really sexual and like almost filthy. But we're so ashamed about it because of just everything that's been culturally ingrained in us. We just feel bad about wanting to be whores. So when you say something like um, my tour is called the good girl tour, because I found that being called good girl in bed or being like praised um, after you do something particularly like dirty, and the guy's like, good girl. You go, oh, you know what? That I did that because he wanted me to. And I was just doing the assignment. You know, I just was, I didn't want to do that filthy thing. Like he, he, he wanted me to, and I'm a good girl for doing it. I, I'm, you know, I don't have to feel bad about that. And so I think that's like the right note to hit. So I kind of like to be in, I would say in the bedroom, I'm like a nice girl and off stage, I'm a freak. Like I'm very outspoken and masculine energy when I'm on the mic, and then in bed, I'm kind of like, no, okay, whatever you say, sir. You know, like I like that kind of role. Reversal. Do you find that um, people hearing your um, forwardness on stage? Do, do you think that makes you know a lot of men, men are soft? <laughs> 
That's yes. where I was going to go. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of scare, intimidate. It's a masculine thing to do stand-up comedy, to be a, someone on stage with a microphone thinking, people need to listen to me. You listen up. It's like a tribal leader type thing. That's, there's something in... You watch that and it's it's masculine. And so men who aren't into a masculine energy woman, which there are a lot of men that are, it doesn't make them cucks. It doesn't make them simps. There's just, but it's less a less percentage of men who want to be the feminine role. Um, well, why is it a feminine role? Well, that's, just I'm like, just saying yin and yang. Like it's just the way to, it's it's not the right way to say it, but a, a more, um, uh, not, not the dominant role in the relationship. And or maybe men, they are dominant. Maybe you're so sure of yourself and that, that doesn't inhibit you and make you feel any less of a man just because you can take a strong woman. No, I don't woman. think it's less of a man. It just makes, yeah, I think, I don't know. It doesn't horn them up though. I don't think, um, I don't think my boyfriend is, is horny for me being like telling it like it is. He admires it and is like, wow, she's talented. And I have it in my mind, like he's horned up for this, but he's just like, wow, she's impressive. But I think that, um, no, it, it does turn a lot of guys off. And the ones that are super into it that are like, roast me. Those are the guys that want to be like belittled in bed and be like, oh, look at your small little dick. And they like get off on that kind of thing. Or they want you to like step on their balls with your stiletto heels or something. Like those are the guys that are more masochistic, like want to be belittled. And I'm not into that kind of guy. So kind of what I do attracts um, the wrong kind of person for me. With your boyfriend, because you said he's on a radio show yeah, and he's a producer. Do you find what about the fact that you are enjoying I don't, I wouldn't say that your success is more prominent than his, but it is, you know, I don't know more him. More prominent, yes. Yes. So the fact that you're more successful, we're in a business that is just by nature a competitive business, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately we're always trying to get, uh, be on the most popular show, get the most eyes and ears on whatever we're saying and we're doing. Obviously you have more eyes and ears on what it is you're doing than your boyfriend. Yeah. Is that an issue? It's an issue when I misrepresent him on podcasts and things and don't say his side of things. So that can be an issue when I tell my side of the story and it's wildly different than how he perceived it. Uh, when it comes to me being more famous, getting more attention, he's not, I've never felt um, a jealousy from him or him trying to like dim my light or anything like that. It's, um, that is probably one of the most unique things about him compared to other people I've dated where I think, I've been drawn to people in the business, especially other comedians I've dated. And I feel like as a woman, you always kind of have to just lessen. Uh, it's it's hard to break news of like, I got this thing. Cause it's like a, a front to them that they didn't get it. Whereas I think my boyfriend's really good about celebrating Who's the most famous comedian you've dated? Um, I can't, I mean, the most famous comedian I've like, I've like, you know, had little dalliances with these people and they usually like, you know, were cheating on someone with me. This was like young in my career. And so I was always like going after guys with girlfriends. And the most famous one. I can't say because they're like married to these people now that they cheated. Rhymes with. <laughs> that was always the surprising thing. In my early 20s, which I would never do now, I would pursue guys that had girlfriends because I was a piece. I mean, it's a, not a good thing to do, but I did it because I want, I was scared of intimacy and what better way to never let this guy get too close is if he has a girlfriend and, um, and I also was like, oh, you know, they're cheating on her with other people. I'm just add, add me to the list. Like it's, I don't feel that bad. I, I just really didn't, I was drunk a lot of the time, but then they end up marrying these people. I go, it, it was okay when it was your girlfriend. I didn't expect you to marry the girl that you, and now you're just going to keep this secret the rest of your life that I blew you once. Like, it's just, that's always really strange to me. Um, Maybe your blowjobs send people into commitment. <laughs> 
I don't want to be out there if that's what's out there, they say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good thing at home, uh, getting a one blowjob a year from my wife on my birthday than um, risking multiple blowjobs that were like Nikki Glazers. Yeah, I get it. I'm what, good for marriages. <laughs> do you want to get married? I don't, yes, I would like. I would like to want to get married. I would like to want to commit to anything for longer than a year. I feel like I just have commitment issues. Um, I used to accuse my boyfriend and other men I dated of having commitment issues, but I, I was always wanting them to be my boyfriends because I knew they wouldn't be, and then I would win somehow if they would be. So I think ultimately, with a lot of therapy, I've realized I have massive commitment issues. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I don't own anything. Do you live back with your parents still? Uh, no, I only lived with them for a year, and then I, I rent in St. Louis. Yeah, I'm which is your hometown. Mm -hmm. You went back for COVID, and then you made a show out of it. Yeah, I was I was back living with my parents for eleven months um, during COVID, which I thought was just going to be a, a couple weeks of just hanging out there while the world got its shit together, and then it just kept going. And while I was living there, I was like watching a lot of reality TV and realizing that's my favorite kind of stuff to watch. And, and I was also living a reality show. I'm living with my parents at the age of 35 and I was successful and, you know, guest hosting Jimmy Kimmel and then flying back home and living with my parents. I was like, this is hilarious. So I pitched it, it got bought. And by the time it was bought, I was already moved out. So we were just like, okay, let's make this a story about a girl who moved back home, which is already interesting. Um, to be like a semi-famous person moving back to St. Louis. And your parents didn't have, they had no problem with being on. At first they're like, this will be great. You know, they're, they're hilarious. I would have never done this show if my parents were boring. My parents, I thought I, this is the perfect thing. I can just sit back and be the straight man because they are, it's so funny around me. They're so naturally funny. They're not trying. And then a, about a week before we started taping, they started hanging cameras in their house to start shooting. And my mom flipped out and was like, you know, my house is a mess. People can't see this. And um, I got to lose weight. You know, all my clothes aren't good enough and had this panic. And I talked to producers and they were like, this always happens with family that aren't used to this. Don't worry. We'll get through it. We'll be gentle. And by the end of it, they'll be begging us not to leave. And that was the case. My parents were so sad when we didn't get a second season because it was really fun. It was, and they were, yeah. they were, and they, they were, were good at it. They were natural. Natural. Yeah. Once they got used to the cameras, they were so funny and it was almost annoying how funny they were and how much they didn't try. Cause I, I feel like I try, you know, Did you, and, well, that's your job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and do you have siblings? Yeah. I have one sister. She's a school teacher at my high school that uh, we both went to. She has three kids. She teaches Spanish. She's a lovely person, has no need to be in the spotlight. She like is so gorgeous, so talented. She could have been an actress, could have been a singer, could have been a model. I mean, uh, didn't want any of it. And I'm so grateful because I could not handle that. Like you're saying in a relationship, like could you date someone who, could you be married to someone who is more famous than you? Um, probably not. And right. I don't think I could date somebody who's in the same business as me. Oh. My wife is, a, is an agent, not my agent. Okay but has no desire to be on camera. No it was spotlight. hard to get her. No, no. Yes. It was hard to get her into our wedding album. She doesn't want to be, <laughs> she has no desire to be yeah. on camera. And That's I love refreshing. that. It's so refreshing. It's so unrelatable for us. Um, I, well, I always thought that we were the, why are you a comedian? Why did you get into this? How did you get into Why I wanted to be on TV or early on. I had enormous stage fright and was just scared of ever getting attention or being the center of attention, but knew, um, once I saw, I think I saw friends for the first time in like sixth grade. And I was like, I want to be Jennifer Aniston. And that was like my goal. I didn't know what that meant. And then- Did you um, take acting in school? No, because I had stage fright. So I was like, I would sign up to audition for a play and then I would- 
chicken out because my legs would shake and I would shake too much. I couldn't, uh, the paper would be shaking. I had to give presentations like during recess alone with the teacher because my parents would see my anxiety attacks about it. And so, um, but so that was holding me back and they were like, well, if you want to do this and what do you, so I just had to confront it and I just auditioned for a play and, um, and then, and then I loved it. And then I was not a good actress and didn't get roles in even high school. And I was like, what am I going to do? And then I developed an eating disorder because uh, I kind of wanted to die. I was like, if I can't be an actress or famous someday, because I had low self-esteem. And so I thought being famous equals everyone will love you. I mean, all these things I've kind of realized later on. So I think back then the solution was like, everyone will love you and listen to you if you're famous. And that wasn't going the way I thought it was going to go. So, because I would get none of the leads in these high school productions that we didn't even go to like a theater school. So it was like, why am I not, I'm not even excelling here. How am I going to do in college? I did audition for theater school um, in college, didn't get into any of them. And I was like, I just want to fucking die. And so um, are you being, is that, are you, is that you really legitimately wanted to die? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I was too scared of like doing it. So I think I just started and I always wanted to be. Were you in therapy? No, God, no. Um, I, and then I went through a couple, you know, tragedies and like a, a, a friend of mine committed suicide in, in high school and September 11th had just happened and that really fucked me up. Even though we were in St. Louis, I didn't know no one in New York. It really just affected me more than all my friends, I guess. I just remember being like, is, is no one else thinking this is horrible? So I think I went through a lot my senior year of high school. Also leaving, I was going away to school. I think I was freaked out about leaving my parents and I just stopped eating. And, and I gained a little weight since I um, had started doing theater and not like doing sports. And so I was feeling like fat, even though I wasn't. So I just, uh, and a boy liked me for the first time. I'd never had a boyfriend, never had kissed anyone. This is my senior year of high school. And a boy I liked, like liked me back. And it, I was so nervous about it and excited. Like whenever I have a crush or I have anything exciting in my life, I lose my appetite. And so I lost my appetite for a couple of days. And I guess I lost a couple pounds because this boy just liked me and nothing even happened. And people started going like, you look good. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting a lot of attention for looking good. And I was like, what am, what am I doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just not eating. Okay, I'll keep doing this. And then I stopped eating for like three months, which is very hard to do because my family eats you know, meals together every night and I would just lie and, and just, I was like, I, I got, I, I just got anorexic overnight. Like it was like catching the flu. And then, um, within I got it, I caught it in March and then I was hospitalized in July against my will. Like, you well, know, they came and picked you up or I went to go to the doctor for a physical to go to, um, college my freshman year. And I got in there and they took my heart rate and my blood pressure and they were like, you're going to die. You can't leave. And so they admitted me to a psych ward on the same, in the same premises as the place I was going to get. My was this physical. a surprise or did you see this? Yeah. Your parents didn't notice? No, we had, well, they knew because it was evident. I had lost, I was, I looked so scary and, but they were in denial because it's hard to admit that your daughter is dying and it's hard to admit that, um, you have no control over it. And so I think they were just in denial of it. And, you know, they got a lot of calls from the school and my friends' parents and my friends. And I had no friends anymore. They had all dumped me because they were so worried about me and didn't want to enable anymore. They did the right thing. So I was just isolated. I would sleep all day because I had no energy and I, my bones would like hurt. So I just like, I was wasting away and I, I don't know. I, I still look back on it and I don't know what my parents were thinking not getting me help. But luckily- this hospital was like, you can't leave. And so they put me in, um, I was in a psych ward for uh, a week about, and then I realized I was 18. I could check myself out. So I did. And, um, but you weren't cured. 
not even close. I mean, I was like, I'll eat whatever you want. Just get me out of here because it was scary and I was locked up. And so with, uh, is it specifically eat order or just, no, a- it's just, a, a, well, the teen ward was full. And so they put me in the elderly ward. So it was just a bunch of, you know, you know, geri- geriatrics with uh, dementia, dementia, just throwing their shit and like bleeding from their faces and just like screaming in the wall. So it was really scary. I do remember there was one other girl my age that was in my room. She was my roommate and she had taken like a handful of Tylenol PM and she, and that's why she was there and to kill herself, you know, quote unquote. Cause she said it wasn't really, she was like, I knew I wasn't going to die. It was just a cry for help. But she was like, so I did, I remember her packing her bag being like, I'm leaving today. Mine was just a cry for help. I'm going to get help you need to stay. And I remember kind of being like, what? She was like, look at you, like you stay here. And I was like, hell no. So I lied. I got, I got out of there. I, I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to follow your meal plan and drink these insurers. And, um, I didn't do any of it. And I lied to my parents. And then, and then I only had a couple months before I went to school and then I was off to college and they didn't have to watch me anymore. And then that's, how did you survive? But you didn't I don't have a- know, man. I, I prayed every night that I would die in my sleep because it's hell. You like, imagine you're so tired, you can't eat. And I can't describe what it is. People just, I don't even understand anorexics when I see them now. Cause I'm like, just eat. Like you just are so, and people would say this to me and I'm like, I can't, I can't tell you why, but it's like, it would be as if I told you to like drink, eat a piece of poop or something where you're like, I'm not, I can't do that. That's like the worst thing I could ever do. Like that's how So you wouldn't consume anything all day? Just like lettuce and carrot sticks no dressing on anything. Um, a lot of t- hot tea because I was freezing because you have no body fat. Um, How I, much did you weigh? I weighed like, I stopped weighing myself because it was just uh, too much. But I think I was in like the 90, 90-ish pounds, 88. Like, and I'm 5'9". So it was, it was a lot. I lost a lot of weight very quickly and hair was falling out and no energy. And I'm a freshman in college and everyone's drinking. I can't even do that because of the calories. But then I started drinking my calories and that was getting blackout drunk. And, um, I was just waiting to die. I mean, I, I really had written notes. To, you seem my to have come from a, a, but you come from a great family, great family Yeah, who are married. They seem to be incredibly supportive. Yes. There's a lot of love. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You think it's just, um, biological mental health i I suffer from depression anxiety ocd and i come from a very supportive wonderful family so yes it's hard for me to put any of it on them but it's like they could have done better as i think that they would admit themselves you mean just catching it or do you think it's you think it's but i think before that uh and it's no fault of theirs because my parents are just products of their parents and their parents are products of their pa- I mean, it goes far back. You get into therapy, you realize everything's your parents' fault and then you stay in therapy more and you realize it was your grandparents' fault that your parents ended up. And then like, it just goes on. So there's no blame, but I don't come from a family that I think acknowledged feelings as much as they would think that they did. I wasn't having my feelings met and I was a very sensitive child. So- when I was sad about September 11th, when I was sad about my friend who committed suicide, I was kind of met with, well, we, you don't even know anyone who lives in New York. What are you, what are you upset about? Um, you, you didn't even know that, we'd never even seen this kid that you're crying about who killed himself because your friend didn't love it. Like it was like, uh, my, this guy killed himself because my best friend said she didn't want to go out with him. And, um, and so I was clearly, it doesn't even matter. I, I'm still making excuses. Like I deserve to be upset. My feelings, I had too many feelings. And they weren't acknowledged. And I wasn't able, if I cried, it was kind of like 
maybe seen as a manipulative tool because maybe it had been in the past. And so I thought that anytime I cried, it was like, I was trying to get something. So I'd never cried and I just everything bottled up and I just ended up, you know, taking it out on myself. I was very the best and thing I was we, depressed and suicidal. The best thing we can do for ourselves and for others, and I think people who are listening to this will agree if you read the comments after, though you don't listen to any of the or podcasts read comments, or read yeah, comments, yeah. is sharing. For my mental health. You know, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah, but absolutely. But the sharing. first time, yeah, is sharing. And um, when I, you know, came out about my mental health I was like at the end of my rope and at the darkest moment in my life but just to know that I wasn't alone or just to talk to people like you and have these conversations from my generation they didn't I'm probably yeah. your parents age mm -hmm. how old is your is your dad uh he's about to be 69 I'm I'll be 68 this yeah. year yeah yeah yeah, so that there is a stigma involved with mental health. So you are, you're suicidal. You mm -hmm. uh, relieve yourself from uh, the hospital. Which yes, on your own, which didn't sound like a good. You you show no. up at college. Yeah, and, and I have no no one wants to talk to me. I mean, I I honestly look if you look at pictures of people that when when they you know went to Auschwitz and, and freed everyone. And those pictures, I mean, that's what I looked like. Like when I looked in the mirror, it was, it was, there's no difference. Teachers, it, professors, they weren't uh, everyone, putting up red I, flags. They, no one can talk about it because it's just so scary looking. And I think I, my, fr there were, no one wanted to be my friend, which I get because I just looked like a liability. And that's when I realized I, I, I don't think I realized it really because I wasn't as aware of what I looked like. I was ashamed of it. I would wear baggy clothes to cover it up. And, you know, I wasn't like trying to flaunt my hot, thin body. It wasn't about like, I'm thin now. Like it was a shameful thing. Um, I started to make friends being funnier. I had always been funny, but I just was like, you got to take this up a notch to distract from how you look. And for the first time ever, because my personality I, I had to, you know, turn the volume up up on that. I started having people tell me you should be a comedian. And I had never heard that ever in my life. And um, and this was at a point where I wasn't going to be an actress. And I was like, I guess maybe I'll write sitcoms. So I was like trying to maybe think of that. But I was ultimately like, I just want to die because I can't imagine not being on TV. Like it was, and now it seems ridiculous to me. I could totally imagine a life. If it was taken from me, I wouldn't kill myself. But at the time it seemed like life or death to, to, for that dream to happen and it wasn't happening. So when people told me I should be a stand-up comedian, I was like, I mean, I knew what that was, but I'd never considered it. And then I started, you know, looking into it and was like, oh, this is awesome. Cause it was, it was the answer to everything. I could be, I could share all the dark things. You get rewarded for being fucked up, for saying the truth. And I think that is really what anorexia and what a lot of mental illness is about is like, Shit, letting the truth out and, and, and it just festers inside you if you don't. And so I think that stand-up comedy freed me from you know, being able to talk about these things that I could never talk about or that people used to just look at me weird and go, ew, why would you say that? And so it was an outlet, but it was also this beacon of hope that I could still have a career in TV. And, and then I, as soon as I did stand-up comedy, I go- Did you do stand-up comedy college? I, yeah, I signed up, my friend signed me up for a, a friend who had told me you should do stand-up comedy, found a flyer on campus that said there was a stand-up comedy competition. She signed me up. And, um, and then I did it. And then once I, I had one set and like, you know, you go, you have one set and I killed in my, in my memory of it. And I got off stage and it was like out of a movie. I called my dad. He, he was on speakerphone listening. My friend held up the phone and I called him afterwards backstage. And I was like, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to like, I want to live. Cause at this point I was like, 
it was a, I'm sure my parents were like worried about getting a call. I was dead every day. And I wanted to die every single night. So it was this moment of, I have a reason to live finally. And so I, that's when I started doing research of like, how do you beat this thing? That, that seems there's gotta be a way because before I wasn't open to, to eating, I wasn't open to beating it because why? What, so I can go be a TV writer when I really want to be on TV. No, thank you. So I can be a mom. So I can be a teacher. Like none of my outlets seem like options seemed good enough to, to live. So what makes you happy now? Do you, for me, and I'll, I'll just, <laughs> <laughs> Do you like catching food? up to do. do yeah. Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. eating is like the greatest. It's all I look forward to. I mean, I still have food issues. That's why. Yeah. My life. I don't think that goes there. away. That's no. like being, uh, you know, sober and you're, you know, yeah. But the truth of the matter is I say everything I was ever punished for, expelled for, hit for is what I get paid for. You know, I found, <sighs> I also found stand up comedy by accident. You know, I went to a club and they dared me to get up and, yes. and I got up and, um, <laughs> and was it a great experience that first time? So mixed in the, in the sense that the very first time, you're probably too young to uh, remember me. This is like the 70s. I've and, read uh, history books, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is just after the will. <laughs> so, um, but, but I, uh, I went on stage and um, the joke for me was, because I never think ahead. I don't think of ramifications because I, I, one of the things I suffer from is ADHD and OCD and anxiety. So I really don't, if you go do this, I go, okay, and I, and I do it and I don't think about what might happen, which is good, but it's also, it can be uh, problematic. So I, I got on stage, they went, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel, and I thought therein lies the joke. There's no reason for anybody to say, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. <laughs> and then I was standing there in front of this uh, sea of strangers who were looking at me, waiting for something to happen. And the terror just flowed through every ounce of who I am. And if you look on YouTube and, at, you know, Howie Mandel's first, uh, you know, times on TV, it, all it is is terror. And it was wow. like, I, I would start going, okay, all right. Okay. All right. All right. And, and then they would start laughing at me, not, uh, oh, and they'd start giggling at my nervous energy and wow. I'd go, what, what, what? And that became my catchphrase. Yeah. And I put my hands in my pocket and grabbed one of my rubber gloves that I carry for because I have OCD and I didn't want to yeah. touch public restrooms. And, and, and I just, I didn't know what to do. So I just pulled it over my head and I started breathing <laughs> and the gloves went up. Like no that. way. Yeah. Is that bit born of you just fiddle, like fidgeting on stage? Te and terrified. Just, wow. And, and I blew it up and I popped it off and they all applauded and I went, good night. And, and I escaped. And, and the, uh, the owner of the club said, you got to come back tomorrow and do it again. And I go, what is it? And he goes, do what you did. And I go, what the <laughs> fuck did I do? I was just terrified. But, that was the first time in my life I was an outcast and incredibly depressed and didn't have any path, really. I was asked to leave school uh, against my will Whoa. at every high school. I don't have a GED. Why? And For just uh, not paying attention? Oh, yeah. Behavior. Talking back? Uh, not so much. Bigger than that. Like, uh, they're funny stories now, but, mm. you know, I, I didn't really understand. I like awkward, uncomfortable situations. And my favorite show, the only thing that kind of bonded me with other people was Candid Camera. Oh, I, I like yeah. pranks, yeah. but I didn't even have the wherewithal to know that you need a TV show and maybe you should share your <laughs> idea with 
with somebody else. So like uh, one of the things that got me thrown out of school was, um, uh, this is before Caddyshack. I, I threw a chocolate bar in the pool so it would look like somebody yeah. shit in the pool. That's good. That's be well, and then when everybody showed up at the end because the word got through the school that somebody shit in the pool, so everybody went to look at the shit in the pool. Yeah. And when there was like 300 people there, I dived in and came up with it in my mouth. <laughs> No, you didn't. I did. That's brilliant. I did, but it, and and enjoyed the fact that everybody was just blood curdling screams, and it's not like right. any girl would <laughs> want to date me or be with me or anybody wanted to be my friend. I just had you. What they thought you had shit in your mouth, like it's right. just like. Right, which I thought was were, funny were at the moment. Were you in on it with your friends, or is this just I didn't you have alone? A friend. Shut up! This yeah. was just you alone by myself. Yeah, doing it for what? For th for that's cameras the, that the, weren't there. That's the biggest question that people always ask. My wife continually asks me today, and my that's teachers so ask me. They they always go like, "Who is the joke for, Howie?" I get the joke. Who is it for? They don't know you're funny. They think there's something wrong. They've asked you to leave. You're trouble, and even to this day. I will go into public places, hopefully not getting um, uh, recognized, and uh, just drive. I don't know why I find somebody's discomfort and anger more um, uh, better currency than laughter. That is interesting because that makes me. I can't because even watch prank shows. I can't stand people being. I confused think it's because I, I'm comfortable with discomfort because my whole life I've been yeah. really uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm, and and it gets other people on this. And it what feels like you can, and it feels like you can control discomfort. So if I can control <sighs> discomfort, I don't know. I'm analyzing That's myself. A good, that is a good analysis. I would. I think. don't know if it's right, but it's a good. Yeah, analysis. you're. We're all seeking control, and if that's what you feel in, out of control about, of course you would be drawn to controlling discomfort. That's interesting. Yeah, but you would think I want acceptance, and I want people to yeah. like me. So. When he thought it was great and a whole room of strangers were laughing, that laughter seemed like a warm blanket. And every mm -hmm. day of my life, I'm trying to reclaim that that comfort again and that moment again. And um, it's it's hard. And, and I wish I didn't have to, mm -hmm. but I feel like I have to. You know, yes. I feel like I need it. I don't know why I need uh somebody I, I have no idea who they are will never have any interaction with them to think that i'm funny their or, approval and, yeah you know but i i don't understand it but i'm surviving it and i'm every day is a is a fight that's why it's interesting talking to somebody like you because you don't talk to so many people who are as rawly open about this kind of in, in the way you tell it it's incredibly scary you mentioned probably you know, a hundred times in the course of 15 minutes, I wanted to die. I oh yeah, I talk about suicide a lot li li lately and, and, and the thoughts because that's the new thing that I think I've been doing comedy now for 20 years and talking like this. And I think just in the past couple of years, that was the one thing I never really admitted to myself or I definitely not on mic that I want that I sometimes want to die and I want to kill myself and I have those thoughts and I do. You, I you still, still? Yeah, I still suffer with um, suicidal thoughts all the time. I'm never going to do it. I've made that pact with myself and that promise. Um, but I, I listen, there are so, I first admitted it on Rogan because I was going through a really bad depression. He reached out to me actually and because I tweeted something that was definitely dark. It was something about like, I want to shave my head. So if, 
if anyone, I need a friend with cancer so I can say I'm doing it to support them. Or so it was something about like wanting to shave my head. Cause I was having those like Britney Spears, I'm losing my mind thoughts. And he reached out and said, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not. And, um, he's, I was like, I actually am coming to LA. I'd love to talk about it. So I went on his podcast and talked about my suicidal thoughts and then was met with so many messages about, thank you for talking about that because that was something I hadn't heard anyone admit to having yet. Aside from people who had attempted it and have to talk about the thoughts that led to that. I've never attempted it, but I, um, you know, it's, it's a thing I struggle with. It's just a place my brain goes to is like, it's almost soothing. I, I, I get really, I find it scary to say it out loud. Yeah. It, it takes away some of the power from it for me to talk about it out loud. Um, I don't know why. And it just, um, and it just, it, it, and it makes it so it's not me. Like, I don't really want to kill myself. It's some, it's like I caught a cold. It's like, I, it's, 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 it's not my fault that my thoughts are telling me to do this. That's not something I want in my brain. And it lets me off the hook a little bit, uh, I feel. And it doesn't give it as much power. It's a symptomatic thing of, I get depression and the, my symptoms are suicidal thoughts, just like, you know, sniffles when you get a cold. It's just the way it is. And so I can see them as thoughts that I can duck under and kind of acknowledge and go, okay, you're here once a month, two days before my period. I'm going to start thinking about killing myself. Um, all right, this, you're on schedule and it's not real. I don't have to like ride that wave. Are you in therapy now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you medicated? Uh, sometimes for, for ADHD, but I find that, I don't know about you. I, uh, are you medicated for ADHD? Uh, no, I'm medicated for depression. Yeah. I, um, I was, I was on some medicine for ADHD and I found it very helpful to the point where like when I took it, I was like, I had no problems in the world. I love everything. I love myself. And it like, I can't take it because it just, it, it seems like I'm lying to myself. If that makes any, it's, it's the craziest thing. I've talked to my doctor about it and he's like, are you addictive? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't drink anymore. I quit drinking 10 years ago. I have problems with weed off and on where I want to do it. If I do it, I'm like, want to do it all the time. I, I definitely, I have addiction issues. So, um, uh, feeling the, like a, an Adderall type substance coursing through my veins. I've never been a Coke addict or even I've maybe tried it once and been like, this isn't really for me, but Adderall and any of that stuff makes me feel too good. I feel guilty. I Mine's feel like caffeine. I like oh, caffeine. I love caffeine. Yes. Caffeine's my next big thing to go. Yeah, so it's, I, I, that I'm, lifts I, my mood. I'm over caffeinated every waking moment. Yeah, do you you can sleep on it though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. It does. I matter. can have a, a double espresso right before and go to bed mm-hmm. and fall asleep. But yeah, because I think I, I'm wired a little, probably like you. It, I, th- I think so. It sounds like it because I feel like caffeine for me. It's not even about waking me up. It's about it's going to lift my mood. So what do you want to do? What are you you're pursuing and, and working really hard at music? I know that you're studying. Yeah. You've been, you learned how to play the guitar. I'm, uh, I just I'm working on starting a Taylor Swift cover band because that's my I love Taylor Swift. She's uh, Did you go to the concerts. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to one on Sunday with my mom. I spent more money than I spent on anything in my life. Like I, this are the things of not having a kid. I go, I'm using my child's college fund that I don't have to go to front row tickets on Saturday. I've already gone once. I'm going to go like five Does more times. Does she know you? She's aware of me, I think, but I, I want to keep that distance. I want to stay a fan. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to bother her. Why do you think it would be bother? I, because too many people love her and think they have a relationship with her and deserve to be her friend. And I'm just another one of those people that's probably wrong. And I just don't, she, her 
creating and making music is so important to me that I feel like my energy in her life would like throw that off somehow. And so I don't want to like interrupt her. It's so weird, but I don't You'd even want to meet her. You'd be the opposite of a muse. <laughs> yes, I would just be a, a, a succubus, a drain on her energy. Um, but I love her so much and I, I'm i glad she, she is aware of my fandom, but I don't want, I don't need to meet her or anything. I, I want her to just... I, she'd have to like t calm me down. You know, when you meet someone that's very excited to meet you and they're like, I do. And they're like shaking and you're like, it's okay. I don't want her to have to do that to me. And she will. And it's just going to be annoying for her. I just want, I don't want to be annoying to her. <laughs> so yeah. Is that I, what you want though for your career? Do you want to be able to write songs and yes, tour and eventually. do that? But right now I'm just like, I'll just ease into it by, cause I just play her songs all the time. So I've, I've learned a bunch of songs on guitar and uh, me and my friend are going to start. Are you writing music though of no, your own? No, I've never, I can't. It's just the, the next thing. It's, it's too vulnerable. You just like write about the wind and you're, and you're, I don't know the, you just have to write about like cons. I can't even think of another concept, like a metaphor. Like no, I don't like talking about metaphors and similes. I want to talk about. But even real facts. words, uh, the, the, you know, one of my favorite moments on um, America's Got Talent, there's this young lady, do you know how Grace Vanderwall Yes. Is? Oh, yes. Oh. You know, she was 11 or 12 years old and she wrote that song. Really? Do you know what song? Yes, you don't know, I know my name. Oh, I know that song. Yes. I don't play by the rules. Yeah. You know, you know and here's a 12 year old, person spouting yeah that creeped me out i gotta be honest with you why not in i don't a need way. a 12 year old to be that deep like i remember someone sending this to me and being like check out this girl and i'm like no 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 i don't like when little kids have like adult feelings it's creeping me out it's like it's too much it's there's like an adult there's like it makes me think of like past lives like this girl has too much well as as a parent i will tell you something what i what i the way i look at children and, and is that they are adult you know think yeah. of them as foreigners who just have to pick up the language <gasps> and the skills i think you're fully i, love that. I think you're fully for i think you come out who you are you've always been you you and even at this point, you are learning, you know, from so college today, you're learning different ways to express what it is. Those I same really like this, Howie. The same feelings that you had and the same way of reacting to things have not changed. You've given, you're learning coping skills, you're learning language, you're learning, that's all you're learning. Mm -hmm. So that deep thinking infant in a diaper is always there. Was always capable of writing those songs. Because I I have, I truly have memories of uh, being an infant before I could talk. And uh, I have real clear images, which I've kind of um, proven because I said to, I've, I've talked to my mother and I've said, was I in a pool one day when the thing, when you had me on a floaty and- But you actually had your own shit in your mouth that time because you were a baby. <laughs> it's my own shit. Yeah. A, yeah, I like but you that, have memories. I call back. Yeah. yeah. You, have, you have memories that have been confirmed when you were a, a baby? Yeah, and That's they're cool. really, and they're really um, uh, clear thoughts, as clear as my thoughts are today, except without a way of, expressing how I felt. And I was frustrated at something. I love that and you're I, a foreigner and, and I, don't well, know the language. You know, I, I remember, I, I'm aware that I was crying and I'm aware that I was screaming. I wasn't sad. I was frustrated that I couldn't get, Yeah, I couldn't say. You had like yeah. locked in syndrome where you, you just, you're, that's. So somebody like Grace, who was an outsider, you know, th those words were amazing. Oh my God, I'm getting like choked up thinking about it. Yeah, like, play that song. I love that song. It's it's a Grace Vanderwall. 
um, you you don't know my name. And I think that you just... I think you're right because I, I've been listening to a lot of Rick Rubin recently and he I love said... Rick. He was just here the other day, not on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, that your creativity is... Kids are more creative than adults because what gets in the way of our creativity coming out is worrying about what people think about us and right. all the and the kids don't have that they don't care what people think about them yet so this is one of the clearest messages i think that oh. all humanity feels here and tell me this is not put in this you. audio for when you go to me singing grace you're a beautiful young lady you know that thank you <laughs> how old are you uh 12 oh my god are you excited go right to, to the here? song it's go right crazy. to the song <laughs> what are you gonna sing i'm singing in original Really? Yes. I think she was just voted. She's in a movie now with Adam Driver, and she's Maxim's 100. Stop. Yeah. I don't know my name. I don't play by the rules of the game. Sorry, Sam. I'm dying To get found in the notion of people, please don't ask me anything. I don't know my name. I don't play by the rules of the game. Oh. So you say I'm just trying, just trying. I now know. It's, I mean, it's so pure, and it's just... But isn't that what we're all doing? Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, you're really not playing by the rules. What you just explained by your, li by your life. You know, you're not eating the meals you should yeah. be eating. You're not doing what you should be doing. You're in this ocean of people who don't know who you are, mm -hmm. and you're trying to find your way. Mm -hmm. And today, you're Nikki Glaser, mm -hmm. and everybody knows your name. And you found your way. That's that song. And oh, that's from a 12-year-old. So and I, I was sitting there welling up with emotion when she was singing this song. And I said, how the fuck, how can the fucking a 12-year-old little girl be so articulate for, you know, at that time, that's probably 10 years ago, to a, a man in his late 50s. Yeah. And she's telling my right. story. Because it's so pure and there's nothing that has gotten in, uh, there's... It's like that. What Rick Rubin says is like the stuff. It's always you're the you have it when you're a kid, and then you get infiltrated by like what people think and and comparing yourself to others. And I mean, the thing that stops me from writing music or writing poetry is how cringe it will be. This idea of cringe that other people go, "Ew, that's so." Embarrassing. So I read that about you before you, know, you came in, and that made me feel sad. You know, you you did a, a beautiful song to one of my friends to when Bob Saget passed. Yeah, and oh, you yeah. and you talked about how you were concerned about how people were reacting to. 
to it. And they and I was right. I mean, people. You're uh, not right. You're right. You're, oh, you're right about how they you made feel. fun of me. I mean, like I I was re- I was recording music to just do for myself. I wasn't even gonna release it or anything. It was just something to do on my week off. And my friends were in town. They're musicians, and they b- wrote a bunch of songs for me to sing. And I was like, great, let's do it just for fun. And then Bob died during that, and I was like, one of these. You know, I was just a mess and so I took one of the songs and kind of rewrote it and, and wrote about Bob and then we were like I kind of like this let's release it Bob would want me to I know people make excuses about like d- dead people wanting them to do things and that's why they do it but I really felt like I don't know why why not put this out there maybe he'll he- hear it maybe he's got Spotify up there and so I released it knowing that it's too sincere comics are gonna trash me for this and they did it was embarrassing and I didn't listen to any of the judgment but I know I got made fun of but then I realized it's because they all want to be singers too. And they were jealous of my ability to not give a fuck and put it out, which I did give a fuck. But whenever I'm jealous or, or make fun of something to, for being cringe, it's always because that person, I'm jealous of that person didn't care what people think. You know, even if it is cringe, even if it is bad, I'm I just like, we, I wish I had that, that ability to not care. Uh, we don't. And that's not our culture. We don't have the ability to not care, even if people say it. I mean, right. the fact that you're putting on a pair of pants, it's because you care. Uh, always, yes. You know, you, you, it's much more comfortable to go Do out and make pants. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> no, that's why you comb your hair. That's why you're wearing Everything. makeup. That's why you're dressing. It's mm-hmm. always for somebody else's approval. Some of us, people who like you and me who are in this business, need more. Mm-hmm. But I hope that nobody and nothing ever dims the flame of what it is you want to do. And if you feel in the moment that you want to release a song, there is something beautiful and pure about doing like that song you did for Bob is as pure and beautiful as what Grace and Vanderwall yeah. did, you know, because obviously those words and that tune and that moment meant something to you mm-hmm. and authenticity and comedy and music and everything far surpasses anybody's judgment of, uh, yeah, a quality, whatever their judgment of quality yeah, is. I agree. So I think we got one life to live at least in this realm you know, I think you just got to do it. You know, I live by Nike's. No, I, I really appreciate you saying that and, and being reminded of it today. And even watching Grace, which I've avoided. I remember being sent this and being able to watch a little bit of it, but feeling like jealous that this little girl can do something that I can't do. But the thing is, I can do that. Yeah, you can. I'm I'm allowing stuff to get, I'm allowing things to get in the way of that. That's all it is. That's in every single one of us to be able to express ourselves like that, that it, we all have a unique perspective um, that connect can connect us to humanity. And we allow the outside world to get in and, and, and muffle that and worry about what people think. And I just, I can't live like that. And I, and I gotta, I, even if it means writing a bunch of shitty songs that aren't good, uh, but who's to say, and I'm telling you, I'm saying that as a talent judge, who, who's to say that it isn't good? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a tough one. You know, it's amazing, like in the world of comedy right now, there are so many of us, this is probably the brightest spot in comedy in my history. I've, I'm almost, I've been doing it almost 50 years. And I think now is probably the brightest time in comedy. You know, I was just, I just got back from Austin and I was telling Joe this, and I think he's, one of the uh, kind of Joe Rogan is one of the leaders of, you know, the comedy started in New York, I think, you know, from when I was aware of it, you know, with people like Lenny Bruce and other people who were leading the way. And then, you know, Carson moved out here in the seventies and then 
L.A. became a hotbed for comedy and you had to come here and make it at the improv or the comedy store and get on the Tonight Show and maybe get a sitcom. Yes. And I think now Austin has uh, kind of opened up more than any other city and that's because people are doing podcasts and these people that are doing podcasts happen to be reaching a lot more people than anybody on stage or any one television yes. show or doing a Tonight Show or a you know, Stephen Colbert show or any of those shows, you'll, you'll reach more on, on Joe Rogan's podcast or two bears or Bert Kreischer and all these people like Shane Gillis and Bert and Ari Shafir and, and Mark Norman, who are part of these conglomerates of, of comedy that are playing arenas. Yes. And then they're playing arenas and it's much more siloed than it ever was when I was coming up with, they could play an arena and there's millions of people don't know who they yes. are, but that doesn't, it's, cool. it's really cool. It is. So we can all have our own if you want to write songs and make that part of your act and do a music tour yeah and be funny you have a, a, a really what i'm impressed with from the outside i don't know you but you have a very wide bandwidth as far as your ability to um be witty and funny and um informative and vulnerable Beautiful. and strong and i just want that you to just yeah thank yeah. you <laughs> you're welcome. You've got it all. Thank what do you, you want to promote? I know you're going on the road with uh, you and David uh, Spade are playing yeah, Vegas. Yeah, we're doing Vegas. Uh, we're doing like a, res a little bit of a residency there. We have four different weekends. You can come out and see us at the Venetian the next two one. Yeah, two blondes. Wow. Two just, uh, yeah, two, um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I mean, like we're like tw twin twins. We kind of look alike sometimes. Uh, I think it would be fun for people to go to the show and figure out which one went on first. <laughs> And if you don't say your names and you don't have introductions, you just each do your act and they try to figure out which one is David. <laughs> that's a, that's a compliment. He's, he's the greatest. And he's, he's always been one of my favorite. I mean, he is like and my he's favorite beautiful. stand up and he's he is beautiful. beautiful. He's he a beautiful is. man. And, um, so we'll be doing those. And then I'm on tour constantly, like all the time. And taking what's the name of that tour? The good girl tour. And, and they then, should go to, uh, uh .com. Com. And then I have a, a podcast I do twice a week where we talk very much like this, very openly about feelings and just have laughs. And it's called the Nikki Glazer podcast. And that's twice a week. And how did you podcasts. come up with that? Uh, <laughs> it took that a lot title. of focus groups, um, but we landed on that name. And um, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, tour and podcasting. But yeah, podcasting is great because you can be funny and showcase yourself. But like Carson, you had five minutes, just be funny, do these jokes that you've been very rehearsed. Podcasting, you just feel like, Fans can have an intimate relationship with you, whether that's good or bad. I, I can't but tell, I think but it's authenticity nice. is what exactly. sells now. Ever since people started vlogging and YouTube yeah. became really big, it, it kind of opened the door that's into people's lives. That's what I always life. wanted for my for my celebrities. I want to know what's going. I don't want the the version you give me. I want to know. The, I want to see the candid picture. I, I want the paparazzi. I've always been wanting to see what's your inner life like. So I love sharing that stuff and kind of dispelling any perfection you people would. Uh, put on to me based on what I look like when I'm dolled up for a special. I, I love getting real and talking about this stuff. I appreciate you doing it too and leading the way. I mean, you were, w when you came out with your OCD stuff, that was the first time a lot of us had even heard of that. But I didn't do it on purpose. So I'm not a, like a- Well, you had to, you had to break the storm. It was a dark, dark day that when oh, that happened on man. Howard Stern. I really? know. Wait, how did it come out on Howard Stern? Oh, I, I was on Howard Stern and with the guy. I talked about it in my book, but uh, the do you know what puppetry of the penis? Oh is? yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, so the uh, one of the guys from puppetry of the penis was on on radio with me. We were both on the show at the same time, and he was fucking around with his 
penis. Yeah. And then he and then he left before me because I had to promote my television show. And he touched the door, and because I w- I'm laser focused on w- what's going on in the room, so he from his dick to the doorknob, there was no there was no wiping or uh, you know it was just. It was hard. So anyway, I finished and I continued on the air for a little bit and I couldn't hear. It's like those, uh, did you ever watch Charlie Brown where you couldn't hear the teacher? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't hear anything Howard was saying, but then they wrapped up my interview and I was going to leave and I was wearing like a, a, I think a t-shirt. So you couldn't use your sleeve. No. And then I went to use the box. I went to grab, there was a tissue box and I went to grab a tissue to do that. And he said, no, don't use the tissue. And he had one of his uh, people knock the tissue out of my oh hand. He goes, just God. open the door. No, oh. I get it. It was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, get, get open, the, the, door, open the door. I go, I'm not going to touch it. The guy's dick was all over the door. I'm oh. not going to touch it. He goes, just open the door. And just open the door. And he kept harping on it. And if you know anything about OCD, I started having a, uh, a panic attack, mm-hmm. which feels like a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I thought like he'd let me go. And we were in commercial. And I said, Howard, I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I go to a psychiatrist. I've been diagnosed with something called obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm medicated. This is serious. And if you don't open the door for me, I can't breathe right now. You're probably going to have to call 911. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and so they yeah, opened the door and they yeah. let me out in the hall. And then I was in the hallway and I could hear on the speaker that they were still on the air and it was broadcasting. And I had no idea no that it was broadcasting. That's what oh, I said. I had on no the, idea. Yeah. So I just, at that moment, my heart dropped into mm. my stomach and I thought, Fuck. This is the end of the world as I know it. Number one, first and foremost, you know, this is a national show and my kids are going to have to go to school and everybody's going to say their dad's got mental health issues, which is horrific to even mention for the kids. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'm never going to get another job. You know, when you take it, when you take a job, who's going to hire somebody that is medicated? I'm a liability. Uh I'm I'm, I'm nuts. And number Mm -hmm. three, I'm just... The, the a wash with such embarrassment and humiliation oh. and beyond anything, I'm just going to go downstairs and run into traffic. Yeah, yes. And I went downstairs and the doors open and to the teeming streets of Manhattan, and I'm just about to take the breath to you know run into traffic oh. when uh, some guy comes up in my periphery. I didn't, you know, I didn't make any eye contact, and he went, "Are you Howie Mandel?" And I went, "Yeah." He goes, "I just heard you on Howard Stern." And I thought, "Okay." I better just run. And before I could take the first step, he said, me too. And I went, what? He goes, I, I also have uh, mental health issues. And it was so good to hear you talk. And I went, oh my God. Oh my God. It was the first time. That was like a life preserver. Me too. Like and this an is, angel. Yeah. And, and, and it was before the internet, before we had the internet. So I went home and that kind of, you know, I survived that. And I started getting, it, it took about a week, a, a constant flow of mail not email, like paper, like mail going, oh my God, I heard you on this and this is, and I realized even though people were saying it helped them to hear it, you have no idea how it helped me yes. to hear that they heard it, yes. that, the, the, you know, I wasn't treading water out in the ocean alone. Yeah, you, you know? felt alone until that, and just like, like they Grace did. Or Va- Grace just sung, you know, they all did know my name. Mm. They knew who I was and we were all together and we were all like joined at some mental hip mm. and we could survive this together. So it wow. made my life a lot easier. So that's, I didn't go, I'm just gonna open up and tell people. And it's the hardest thing to do. And I think what you did is a lot harder than what I did because yours is a, uh, you know, a conscious, knowledgeable effort done with intelligence, knowing what you're saying and kind of 
you know, not knowing what the consequences are, you do it and you open it up and you talk about it. Well, and thank you. Uh, no, thank you. Because it so makes nice. my life easier. You're very nice and you're yeah, very you funny. Too. And uh, thank you so much for coming. I'm Check so her out. I'm so excited to be your friend now. Yeah, you were <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah, we're friends. Yeah, we're friends. And you can go to howiemandel.com anytime. I will. Will you? Yeah. All right. I'm going to read your book now, but I have a chapter to skip because you just talked me through one. It's the it's the opening chapter. Okay. So <laughs> you could start on chapter two. It's called, uh, what is it? Howie Mandel, Don't Touch Me is the name of the book. All right. That was Nikki Glazer. This is Howie Mandel Does Stuff. And uh, I wish my daughter, my daughter missed a great one. Too bad wow. about the hamster. Um, and somebody wants that. You want merch? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. It's just, uh, we got shirts and stuff with, with stuff on it. Great. Howie Mandel Does. There you go. Ooh. I don't know. You can pick, you can have a yeah, hoodie. You can have you. whatever you want. That's rich. Thank you. You can play the music now because it's the end of the show. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. You were amazing. Nice. No, you are. This is like, this is, this is a great side of you.